Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Kevin Olson. Happy New... Hey, guys! <laughs> <laughs> and we would say Happy New Year, but technically, we are reviewing news from December of 2021. So this will be the Basin Breakdown episode that wraps up that year. Again, this will all be news from the month of December. So if you think, hey, maybe I heard this already, you might have. But we're still trying to get you the biggest stories basin by basin across the states. And I suppose we'll go ahead and get started with the DJ Basin in Colorado, starting with the Colorado Oil and Gas Association and their estimate that 9,000 industry jobs were lost in Colorado due to the pandemic in 2020. Recovery has been slow, but it's ramping up to pre-pandemic levels and should surpass those levels during 2022. A CU Boulder study attributes the recovery to well efficiency improvements, lower per-barrel well costs over the last price cycle, and higher commodity prices. Although production is also expected to increase this year, it isn't expected to do quite as well as years past, such as the historic 2019. And... You know, this is kind of a, a no-duh sort of article. Uh, not to say that it's bad news, but things are getting better. They're getting better for everybody, and I'm really looking forward to being in a place much similar to where we were in 2019, and it seems like we're headed there soon. I just also think that it's good to see that those pre-pandemic levels should be surpassed during this year, you know, 2022. Um, I know that this is from December 2021, but it's good to see that those levels are starting to ramp up, and they are going to get kind of back to, you know, these these pre-pandemic levels, back to that normal in 2022. So I think it's, again, it steps in the right direction. It's been slow, but, you know, with oil prices kicking back up and really life starting to return to normal, it is good to see that those levels are getting back to where they should be. But up next, we've got Colorado oil and gas regulators releasing updated bonding proposal ahead of a January hearing. So the identification of 236 orphan wells across Colorado inspired a bill requiring COGCC to revise the current bonding requirements. The current rules have been criticized by environmental groups claiming to be too loose. Some groups are pushing for payouts as high as $78,000 per well, something that would likely bankrupt many small operators in the states. New requirements from the COGCC are still pending. And I think the 20s, 2022, 2023, 2024 onward, this is going to be a big decade for work over and abandonment, as Colorado is not the only state looking at this right now. And it's a difficult and very fine line to walk, because on one hand, you don't want to dig into taxpayer money to correctly abandon these wells. So that's kind of why they want to bond as high as around seventy dollars to $80,000. But on the other hand, those small companies who are maybe just trying to get into the business can't quite front that cash before they even get the returns from a well like this. So it's... Uh, it's making the risks that much greater and making the barrier to entry that much scarier. Absolutely. And Tavis nailed it. I mean, this is going to be a point we've already discussed this, I think, in the past two basin breakdowns. It's going to be something we discuss potentially on a monthly basis, but for sure in the years to come, because this is such a huge issue that we're seeing in states like Colorado, New Mexico, California, all across the United States. And again, Tavis said that this is really not going to affect the large operators as much. You know, they have a, a lot more of a of a bank to count on, if you will, whereas these smaller operators, you know, that just don't have $80,000 in their budget, if you're increasing the bond for each and every single one of those wells, it's just going to flat out put them out of business. So it's certainly something that any operator needs to be more cognizant of as 
they continue to operate in this industry. But it's also something that the COGCC needs to recognize as kind of like Tavis said, a barrier to entry and potentially something that can have some operators just flat out walk away. So uh, we'll keep you updated on this story as it progresses, but it's definitely nothing that's going to be going away anytime soon. Next up, there were some first in the nation rules, but looks like we're getting a little bit of leeway. Operators in the Colorado DJ Basin get a bit of wiggle room when it comes to dealing with methane emissions. The state's Air Quality Control Commission loosened the rules surrounding the industry's most harmful pollutant, methane. Under these new rules, operators can choose how and where they cut methane emissions to meet the new standards based on the amount of oil and gas produced. The freedom to do it how operators best see fit has been given in hopes of reaching the state's goals of reducing greenhouse gas emissions from 2005 levels by 26% by 2025, and I like to see this. If you can put it in the operator's hands, I think anyone, you hand them a goal, they're much more likely to find the solution than you hand them a strict set of rules and constraints. Uh, Nobody likes that. If they can leave it open-ended and allow people to get creative, we might actually see more innovative solutions than if there was just a a cookie-cutter requirement for all of these operators. And Tavis, I think you have a really good spin on that that I think it's important to note. The state is not saying that it's reducing its methane emission levels and its emission targets. It's saying, go about this, you know, here's our target. However you want to get there, go for it. They're not saying, all right, step A is cut emissions from, you know, the wellhead. Step B, you know, any kind of production equipment. Step three. Instead, they're saying, all right, you know, this is our goal. This is the levels that you need to be at. Choose, pick and choose the most and I think you you nailed it, you know, out of the box, unique way, however best suits your operating goals to get to that end goal. So, and Tavis, I think you're right. When operators can say, you know, oh, I want to go about this in a different way, they might even reach this goal even faster. So I think it's a, a great approach to really putting the problem in the operator's hands and saying, you know, run with it. But that's enough in Colorado. Let's take it up to the Powder River Basin in Wyoming, where federal oil and gas reform is holding high stakes for Wyoming. The Biden administration is requiring the Interior Department to revisit federal reforms surrounding the oil and gas leasing rights. The reforms will disproportionately affect operators in Wyoming as over half of the state's surface is federal. This new wave of reforms comes as a response to Biden's plan to reduce the country's emissions of pollutants, an initiative that has been met with resistance by American energy producers. The Petroleum Association of Wyoming interpreted the move as, quote, politically motivated. I feel like Wyoming has been one of the uh, squeakiest of wheels, one of the loudest opposers to a lot of this federal level stuff. And yes, I do have to agree. It is politically motivated, but that just aligns with the current administration's goals. And I don't know how much longer complaining is going to really do anything. I think everyone is at least from an industry perspective, pretty upset with some of these rules and constraints, but uh, you just got to play ball. <laughs> we can't keep delaying and complaining. We we have to start finding ways to win, even though it may be getting harder and harder, because I do believe the free market will do its best to regulate, especially commodities. Absolutely. And, and I think the reason Wyoming is being kind of like you said, Tavis, a squeaky wheel is because, like we just said, Over half of the state's surface is federal. So a lot of these regulations are hitting Wyoming a little bit harder than other states. But I agree. There needs to be a point where you kind of stop your complaining and you start working towards reform and working to ensure an energy future that we can all work towards down the road. Next, 
oil and gas leasing reports draw states' ire. The U.S. Department has released a report with suggested reforms surrounding the way federal land is used in the oil and gas industry. One of the suggestions is to raise the royalty rate for leasing on federal land from 12.5%, the lowest rates among private, federal, and state land within Wyoming. Like we said, they have a large percentage of land that is federally owned. Following examples in Colorado and Texas, where state royalty rates were increased with little effect on production, the federal rates are expected to rise in the following year in hopes of boosting federal revenue. And I think this is just something we have to look at as inflation, really, is is money changes and its value. Well, then we got to change the way interest and royalty rates surrounding those lands change as well. And absolutely. And, and beyond that, Tavis, we kind of have to look at the price of oil now. I mean, yes. Our percentage-wise, you're, you're going to be making less percentage per barrel. But at the same time, you know, as these percentages are increasing, their their bottom lines are are getting even more and more and more buffered. And if this is a way that can you can kind of work with the federal government and and maybe help start formulating new policies down the road, I think this is just something that really needs to be happening. And and there's not really a whole lot that the state of Wyoming itself can be doing about this. Next, we take it on down to Texas, starting with the big boy, the Permian, where a series of tremors rippled through the Permian Basin in late December, which some regulators believe may have been caused by underground wastewater injections. The largest of these seismic events is a 4.5 magnitude earthquake, one of the largest in the state in over a decade. Permian operators are looking into alternative solutions of wastewater disposal that don't include disrupting the surrounding geology. Such solutions include either recycling the wastewater or trucking it to some other location. And and this has been something that, even outside of Texas, Oklahoma has talked about for a long time. I think it was probably about a decade and a half ago, there was a big set of controversy surrounding wastewater injection and whether or not it does induce, you know, significant seismic activity. And I really do think it's a case-by-case basis. It depends on a lot of different factors, including the geology, whoever's operating, but I do think that it it induces some amount. I'm not going to say a 4.5 magnitude earthquake amount, but I do think it causes change, changes to the surrounding area. So just to give a little bit more context to this, a 4.5 magnitude earthquake, it's definitely nothing to be ignored, but it's not necessarily something to write home about. They're often felt, but they only cause really minor damages, with some estimated of about 500,000 occurring across the globe in an entire year. Now, granted, this is one of the strongest that Texas has seen, but it's definitely something where there could be multiple causes. Granted, is this something that, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission needs to start looking more into? Absolutely. This was an issue in Oklahoma um, quite a long time ago, and, and it was figured out that they were injecting too high of volumes into um, saltwater disposal wells, which was lubricating some of those fractures and causing these earthquakes. So who knows, maybe Texas is going to find something very similar to this. So it's definitely nothing that needs to be ignored, but it's definitely something that the state of Texas can work towards and, and find a solution to these moving forward. But enough of that, let's talk about the Railroad Commission cement suspending water disposal injections in the Permian Basin. The cities of Midland and Odessa, Texas experienced earthquakes of magnitudes 3.1, 3.6, 3.7, and 3.3, launching an investigation of nearby injection sites. In light of the recent seismic activity, the Texas Railroad Commission has suspended all wastewater injection operations until further notice beginning on December 31, 2021. 
More specifically, the Railroad Commission has stated that disposal wells may not be drilled below the straw formation, which occurs at roughly 10,000 feet below the surface. Shallow disposal wells may still be permitted with exceptions. And again, this is the direct response to what we were just talking about. I think it's a great solution. we got to better understand these things. And like Kevin says, you inject too much water, you really lubricate those fractures and introduce a whole lot of pressure that the environment is not used to, and there's going to be some changes. But if we're rocking 3 to 4.5 magnitude earthquakes, not huge concern right now. Again, I know it's alarming. It sounds like a big number, but this is something I'm sure Texas will address and work through in the near future. And I think the thing that's most important about this story is it's it's suspending all wastewater injection. It's not saying, you know, oh, we can't be doing this anymore. Um, it's definitely trying to find the root cause of, you know, these earthquakes. Is it actually produced from all this um, increased injection levels or is it, you know, maybe something else? So I do think it's important to note that it's simply suspended um, while they perform investigations into the cause of these. Next, a relative newcomer named Firebird Energy, LLC, made its second significant acquisition since its inception in 2019. Based in Fort Worth, the assets they received acquired from Chevron are located in the Western Midland Basin. The additional acreage boosts their production in the area of 11,500 barrels of oil equivalent per day, and CEO Travis F. Thompson says this is one of the many steps the company's taking to increase its footprint in the Permian, and I love to see a story like this. Created in 2019, able to find advantageous positions to purchase through 2020 and 2021 for what I imagine were pretty good deals, and I hope it works out the best for them. Absolutely, and and you know us here at Rare Petro, we're always rooting for the underdogs, and while the Permian is definitely chock full of those big players that really know what they're doing, it is good to see you know some of these newcomers really stepping up, making acquisitions, and really trying to make a name for themselves. So we'll keep you guys updated on what Firebird Energy keeps going down the road. But next, NCAP merges two Permian portfolio companies in a huge $4 billion deal. The top oil producing field in the United States is a hotbed of deal making between investment firms and operators, especially with this year's recovery in crude oil prices. NCAP Investments LP, Advanced Energy Partners, and Amerdev LLC have merged into one company worth a staggering $4 billion. The resulting company will be one of the largest privately owned oil producers in the Delaware Basin and is expected it may go public in 2022. So now, while there are small guys that are really ramping up and, and trying to make a name for themselves, there still are those large players that are certainly out for blood here in 2022. And that's all we've got for the Permian. And moving on to the Eagleford, it may be a little bit quieter than in recent months, but we still do have good news. The Eagleford Shale is one of the regions expected to receive increased spending in 2022. U.S. shale expenditure is projected to jump 19.4%. Experts see the boost in spending as a sign of the shale industry's expected return to stability following the volatility and stagnation brought on by the pandemic. While some regions, such as the Permian, experienced spending rates along the lines of 23% increase through 2021, the Eagleford, on the other hand, experienced an increase of just 4.5%. One possible reason for the lower spending rates is the emergence of duck wells, or a low ratio of drilled but uncompleted wells to completion activity. And you've heard us, we've harped on that for a couple of months, but this is good news for the Eagleford. Past couple of years, we're not their year, but this one's going to be big. And, and absolutely. And I 
I think it does get shadowed out by the Permian where, you know, spending rates increase 23%. But here's the thing. Spending in the Eagleford, it did increase. While it was only an increase of 4.5%, it's still an increase. It's movement in the right direction. So, you know, we always love the Eagleford. We always root for the underdog. So we're hoping that those numbers keep building throughout 2022. But up next, the first U.S. LNG cargo to be certified as low-carbon gas could set sail in 2022. The dry gas producers of the Haynesville and Eagleford Shale have committed to third-party certifications to be low-carbon gas of 30% of their produced gas by 2022. This greener LNG is a hot commodity on the market, and some experts have seen it being the first certified U.S. LNG exporter later in 2022. The Haynesville Shale is at the forefront of this movement because of the basin's proximity to existing and producing LNG infrastructure, including export hubs along the Gulf Coast. But don't forget that Eagleford is right there with them. And I know it's a sort of a confusing certification because you're thinking low carbon gas isn't it itself a hydrocarbon, but most likely it's going to be the fugitive emissions around producing this stuff, all of uh, associated gas, making sure they capture that and have minimal impact. So. Don't be confused when your gas is low carbon because it's still a hydrocarbon-based gas like other gases. But in order to avoid further confusing you with my mindless babble, I think we're just going to take it on over to Oklahoma in the Scoop Stack Basin, where among the many new wells drilled in the Scoop and Stack Basins, Oventive has seemingly the most productive ones. The three new wells completed in August of 21 produce an average of over 4,100 barrels of oil a day. Continental Resources has also been busy, however, with more of a focus on natural gas. One of their wells in particular produces 24,600 MCF of natural gas per day, and it's good just to see that there's still, maybe not premium, but very, very valuable acreage in Oklahoma. Absolutely, and that is an absolute barn burner. 4,100 barrels of oil a day, averaging out over three different wells. And Continental Resources clocking in at 24 million cubic feet of gas. So there's a lot of activity happening in Oklahoma, and that is just great news to see. But we've also got the EPA withdrawing a Trump Oklahoma environmental order after input from tribes. On December 22nd, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency revised a decision made by the Trump administration concerning jurisdiction over environmental issues in the state of Oklahoma. The current situation allows the state to make decisions concerning oil and gas ventures on tribal land, but the EPA is looking to hand the authority for such decision back to tribal leaders. The Republican Oklahoma government fears losing regulatory control over the extraction of natural resources in the area. And this is something that we are just a couple months shy of visiting a year ago, if you remember. It's, it kind of kicked off as, they, as the Supreme Court said, well, actually a lot of this land is recognized as native land. But I don't think the Oklahoma Republicans have to worry too much because it is an agreement. At the end of the day, it will be a transaction. There's two parties. They'll agree on a price. If at first the price is way too high to operate on those lands, well, then you just don't. And then you renegotiate, you find a price that works for everybody, and then it goes on. Sure, there's maybe another piece of the pie that companies and states may not want to see kind of carving from their own piece, but I think at the end of the day, this is going to be fine and compensate the people who do rightfully own those lands. So I'm, I'm excited to see how these parties navigate this. 
Next, Continental Resources CEO Harold Hamm announced a $50 million donation to Oklahoma State University, which will be used to build a new building dedicated to educating students about the future of the energy industry. The new institute will include a state-of-the-art lab with wells drilled directly below the building, classrooms, and an auditorium for guest industry speakers. Hamm is quoted saying, We look forward to working with the next generation of energy greats that this will create. And boy, oh boy, am I excited. I wonder if they will have access to those wells underneath. Uh, can you imagine having a lab class where you actually get to work with the wellhead or maybe see workover operations on just a, a weekend class day? I would absolutely kill to have these resources. Absolutely. And I, I think it really brings a new perspective to those students. You know, um, there's, you know, wells right in your backyard as opposed to, you know, oh, let's look at this case study from many, many years ago from a, a location millions or maybe not millions, but hundreds of miles away instead of, you know, hey, let's look at this case study of from six months ago when they drilled the well that, you know, you're quite literally standing on top of. So I think this is a really cool uh, experience for the students. And I think it's great that Continental Resources is giving back to uh, an area that has quite literally made it successful. But enough talk of Oklahoma. Let's bring it over to one of our favorite basins and let's talk about what's going down in California, where a lawsuit between California's oil and gas regulator and the Center for Biological Diversity has recently come to an end and one not so favorable for the industry. California regulators approved over 2,000 permits for new wells in 2020 with little to no environmental inspection. The accumulation of the months-long lawsuit is not far off, but little is left to the imagination when it comes to how the industry will have to proceed with stricter and more transparent environmental reviews. And as I'm out here, I'm actually, uh, even this week as we record this, in well control school, I'm working around a lot of the field hands. Some of them are from Texas and flew in, but a lot of these people operate out of Bakersfield or L.A., and they are not too pleased at all. It's difficult for their companies to operate and drill new wells and continue to boost their productions that, well, I shouldn't even say boost, drill new wells so they can maintain production. And it's just becoming more and more difficult with each passing year. So I think maybe energy resources could become more expensive here because already they are struggling with not so bad as previous years, but rolling blackouts with results of wildfires. And I imagine this season could be very difficult for the state. Absolutely. And it's kind of something that we talk about every single month. We really feel like we're broken records at this point, but it's something that California, they're just attempting to make it more and more difficult for operators to, you know, have business practices in the state. And only time will tell what these end results will be. And we certainly support, you know, environmental activism and, and making sure that the oil and gas industry is doing their due diligence to ensure, you know, a clean energy future. But some of these policies are just making it difficult for the sake of making it difficult to operate in the state. So um, again, we'll keep you updated on the court proceedings as this last couple days of this trial pan out. Um, But enough of this story. Tavis, take us on to the next. I'm sure you all heard about it, but three companies have been indicted following the release of thousands of gallons of crude oil off the coast of California back in October when I first touched down here. 
Amplify Energy is considered the main culprit as the owner of the pipeline responsible for the oil leak, as well as poor handling of the situation. According to federal prosecutors, Amplify Energy, as well as two of its subsidiaries, are looking at several million dollars in fines and a few years probation. The release of 25,000 gallons of crude has resulted in week-long closures of famous California beaches like Huntington Beach, but, I mean, already, uh, those beaches are clean. I'm curious to maybe read into this a little bit further and see how they maybe handled it poorly. That's not the word I would use, because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the cause of the incident was a ship idling off the coast that accidentally dragged its anchor through the line, so... Again, this does not paint a good image for the industry, especially when we're going through environmental issues like we considered in the last article, but I would not be surprised if California really continues to punish these people too harshly, these people, these companies, and uh, drive a lot of the local production out only to supplement that production by, well, shipping it in from environmentally less friendly countries that are spilling oil into the Amazon River or destroying the South American rainforests, as they've done for decades now. Well, and, and something, Tavis, you touched on that I also think we need to discuss is the, the painting the industry in a poor light. You know, uh, let, let's read these headlines. The release of 25,000 gallons of crude oil. But why are we talking gallons here? You know, that's only 609 barrels. barrels. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And and now I'm not saying that a, a release of 609 barrels is okay in, in any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's places that I've worked in before where a single drop spilled on the ground had to be reported. So I'm not saying that this is an insignificant number. But when you compare something, you know, when you're looking at daily production, we call it barrels of oil per day, barrels of oil equivalent per day. But as soon as it comes to any kind of environmental release, it all of a sudden becomes gallons and, you know, these astronomical numbers where in reality, it's not quite as dire of a situation. So um, it's definitely something where um, it, this is not on the state of California, but um, more in, in terms of keep being aware of, of volumes reported and, and really being aware of what's actually the bottom line of the story. But lastly, let's talk about the $4.7 billion available for states to use in remediation, particularly in the case of wells plugging and abandonment. LA is seeking a large portion of the funds to pay for the costs associated with maintaining environmental standards surrounding the approximately 5,000 orphan wells across the state. Experts estimate that around 500,000 people in LA live within half a mile of a well. Moving the industry out of population centers has been a priority of LA officials for some time now, and obtaining federal funding would help greatly. And I'm not sure how much I am allowed to reveal, but Kevin and I are currently involved in a project surrounding trying to establish how much it will cost to abandon a lot of these sites. And people don't quite understand it, but there's a whole lot of money wrapped up in this. There is oil and gas all over LA, whether that's on the ports or hidden in buildings. Kevin, even you went to some sites that were nestled in the middle of neighborhoods, but some people don't even know. So there's definitely a lot to be abandoned. And it's going to be interesting, like I said, to see how this decade plays out, because I really think this will be the decade of abandonments and work over. Bingo. And this ties perfectly back up to what we were talking about in Colorado, where, you know, there's all these you know, this remediation work that, that needs to be performed to ensure that the energy industry continues into the future. But look at this, five 
100,000 people in LA live within half a mile of a well. Approximately 5,000 orphan wells across the state. There's a lot of work to be done, and let's just hope that you know California is able to access some of these funds to you know uh, ensure that you know the environmental future of the oil and gas industry is secure um, and prosperous down the road. Next up, we've got the Marcellus. 34 permits for wells were issued in November of 2021, which is the lowest amount since November of 2008, nearly 13 years prior. The shale boom of 2010 peaked in December with a total of 402 permits issued in the span of one month. The top producers in the Marcellus kept spending and drilling low while bringing in cash on the back of higher commodity prices. And this is really just a function of the environment crafted by COVID in the past couple of years. Well, and I also think that this number is certainly going to to alter fairly greatly. I mean, you know, in December of 2010, we were looking at 402 permits, but only 34 permits in November 2021. But with commodity prices really creeping back up and, and entering the winter months when demand is starting to increase, I can almost guarantee you these number of permits is going to jump up quite significantly. But enough talks of permits. A Pennsylvania methane reduction strategy took a step forward when regulators finalized a new set of rules in early December. The new rules will require operators to perform four leak checks per year per well on those considered low producing and replace old hardware that doesn't comply with new low leak era standards. Storage tank standards will also become stricter under the new rules, which will require tanks to meet higher emission standards. And now, while this is certainly going to hit the pockets of producers, I think these are steps in the right direction. You know, methane is an incredibly harmful greenhouse gas that is being released in the atmosphere, you know, by old equipment that simply if equipment is replaced, if a little bit of money is put into this, then it's going to stop those leaks. So I think, you know, while this is certainly going to affect the bottom lines of many of these producers, I think it steps in the right direction to ensure that they can continue to operate into the future. Yep, certainly makes sense. Nothing too strange and something I like to see. But that's all we've got for the Marcellus. We'll take it to our last basin of this podcast, the Bakken. In 2013, the U.S. Geological Survey predicted there was around 7 billion barrels of untapped and recoverable oil in the Bakken and Three Forks formations. A new report released very recently now suggests the updated number is closer to 4.3 billion barrels. This huge decline is the direct result of drilling 11,000 wells in that eight-year time span between reports. State Mineral Resource Director Lynn Helms noted that nobody was really surprised by the fact it went down. That is to be expected. But people were really surprised by the magnitude. Helms mentioned that around 80% of Premier Bakken acreage has already been drilled, so companies will have to get creative and start innovating to get whatever else is left in the ground. And I, I gotta say, I'm a little surprised by that too. That's a whole lot of oil taken out of what is initially considered the total reserves in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, and we definitely started talking about this last month, but I think uh, Lynn Helms kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, it, it was expected to go down, but the fact that it went down that much is is kind of staggering. And and as we mentioned last month, this just really opens up the door to, for opportunities for, you know, maybe the next big step in, in production where, um, you know, we're talking about recoverable barrels, 4.3 billion recoverable barrels, but that number can go up if, you know, new technologies are developed. So we'll keep an eye on the Bakken and, you know, this is probably going to be where the next big innovation is going to come from. But lastly, the Bakken is now in compliance. In past years, North Dakota flared a decent amount of gas away and had no plans to stop. 
These days, increased takeaway capacity has brought the entire state, the Bakken especially, much closer to their goals. In 2019, 19% of natural gas in upstream operations was being flared. That number plummeted to 7.5% for 2021 through September. This means that 92.5% of the produced natural gas is being captured over a population of 16,000 producing wells. Gas processing in the state was merely 1 billion cubic feet per day in 2013, and it is now sitting in the realm of 4 billion per day. I love this. In just, what, seven, eight years, they increased their capacity fourfold. And of course, 2020 really decreased the total amount of oil and gas being produced. But seven and a half percent is not too bad, considering that just a few years prior at peak production, they were at 19 yeah, that's a significant decrease. And, and, you know, this is something that Tavis and I have talked about. It makes sense. You know, with that increased takeaway capacity, these operators are making money on the on the quite literally money they used to just be burning. So it's great to see that, A, it's an environmental win, but it's also an economic win for the producers in the state. So I can almost guarantee you that that number is going to continue to plummet till who knows, What do you think, Tavis? Is there ever going to be a day where, you know, on this podcast we announce that it's 0%? Oh, I think there will be a day. I just don't know how far off into the future or even how near that day is. Well, let's certainly hope it's soon. But ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of December's Basin Breakdown podcast. And congratulations. If you were listening through last year, you listened to a whole year of Basin Breakdown, and I'm sure you took away a whole lot of news. I'm sure it made you that much more knowledgeable and allowed you to bring some conversation topics to the tables with other energy professionals and gave you that cutting edge. If you want to continue learning and growing, especially through the rest of this year, as we'll have January's report out about this time next month, I would suggest you follow us on LinkedIn or at the very least, check in on our website, www.rarepetro.com, where we are releasing content almost daily. Well, that is weekdays. We do like to have the weekends off. We do a little bit of fun and partying ourselves just like you. But I think that's about all we have. And if you have any questions, you're welcome to send them to us at podcast at rarepetro.com, whether that's discussing something that you heard in this podcast or even something unrelated you'd like us to address in a future episode, and we will be sure to address it. Other than that, Thank you for taking the time to join us, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.